Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Red Star Radio podcast. The coronavirus pandemic has caused a near meltdown across the British university sector. Anybody who's been paying attention to the news will be familiar with the images of students locked up apparently in plague pen apartments which for which they've been charged a hefty amount of money. And generally there's been an awful lot of confusion as to how the sector should be responding to what is an unprecedented public health situation. So this week on the show we've got back on returning for her third appearance, Dr Tara McCormack from the University of Leicester. We'll be discussing specifically how the University and College Union has responded in terms of representing the concerns of its members, what this says about the wider problems in the university sector, and having a brief discussion about also how what this means for the rest of the trade union movement. I hope you enjoyed the programme, and I'll see you on the other side. Dr Tara McCormack from the University of Leicester, welcome back on the show for, I believe it's free time returning champion now. <laughs> Thank you very much. I Do like I get a- uh, do I get a loyalty card? Uh, you get a um, you get a special mention in your um, your uh, national crime agency file along with <laughs> me. Um, yeah, ba- um, probably as a member of a Baphist cabal. Yeah, um, I, 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 I would be very upset if I didn't. If I wasn't, <laughs> if I wasn't called an Assadist, you know, I'd want to know what's going on. Yeah. Um, so the reason why we have Tara back on today is because the governmental response to the uh, coronavirus or COVID-19 or whatever you like to call it has been marked by a series of uh, contradictory and confusing uh, policy pronouncements which have not cleared up over time. In fact, um, the latest tier system seems to have created more confusion and controversy rather than less. But that's a story for another day. Today we're going to be talking specifically about how the coronavirus has impacted upon uh, university life for both academic staff, support staff and students, and what the response of the principal university union, the university and college union, the union to which Tara belongs, and how has that response looked, uh, what errors has it made, and what can it tell us about the wider problems with the trade union movement's response to the coronavirus lockdown in general. So, Let's get straight into this then, Tara. um, We've seen the student population be sent back into university or the the new intake go in as well. Uh, There's been a series of headline stories in my neck of the woods in Manchester about uh, students being locked in uh, their halls of residence due to uh, virus fears, um, various different pronunciations from uh, UCU and others about the safety or non-safety of teaching. Um, how does it look to you uh, as we, since we've gone into the uh, the, the autumn term? Um, well, it's. I think it's all a bit of a muddle, really. I think most universities had the intention to offer what they call quote blended unquote learning, yes, i.e. a mix of online particularly say for big lectures those would be online with what's called face-to-face i.e campus teaching for smaller groups so that was the intention of most universities um there were some universities such as oxford that from the start said we are not doing any campus teaching right at all um 
which is funny, really, because, you know, Oxford is renowned for, I mean, I didn't go to Oxford, but, you know, it's renowned for the small tutorial system. Yes. Um, I think as uh, Professor Sunetra Gupta said in one interview, you know, there's sort of the her tutorial would only be would be so small anyway why not have it in person but anyway that's a obviously that was the choice made by Oxford University so it did depend um some universities for example University of Sunderland um Derby have done I think a lot more face-to-face right so it's really varied across the sector um there are some universities and I'd be, I'm not quite sure of what has happened. For example, I think Glasgow, and I think there have been there's been very little face-to-face uh, campus teaching. But I'm not sure if that was an intention. I mean, so I can speak about Leicester. Yes. Um, certainly, in Leicester, the uh, initial idea was blended learning instead of mix of face a mix of campus online learning, particularly big lecture halls going online. Um, big lectures going online and with tutorial groups made smaller uh, so that you know there would only be a maximum of 15 people in a room Mm. Um, you know there's plenty of hand sanitizer about and um, uh, students are expected to wear masks and teachers uh, lecturers to wear visors so that was certainly the intention uh, say for Leicester and many other universities to offer a genuinely a genuine mix. Um, I think one of the things that did happen in many universities is that uh, a higher number of lecturers um, did not wish to or argued that it was wrong to teach on campus. Right. So I think that reduced uh, campus teaching somewhat. Okay. So from a sort of small, you know, a reduced campus teaching, reduced campus teaching anyway, then uh, it was reduced even further. And what has been quite interesting, and I just put this out as a <laughs> as a fact rather than, you know, um, is that many universities have, in many parts of the university, in many schools and colleges of the university, have basically left it up to individual lecturers as to whether they were happy to teach on campus. Oh, I see. So essentially the management have turned around and said, well, it's on, it's on you. Yeah. So, and of course, there will be people who with who need to not teach on campus right uh you know colleagues who for example may have uh uh, health vulnerabilities yes or of course at university like i mean it's a bit you know it's not the cliche of the sort of doddery old university lecturer you know in their kind of 80s no longer holds certainly not in most universities um but of course you know colleagues who are significantly older uh, will need to shield will genuinely you know will genuinely need to not be on campus yes Um, but colleagues have also been allowed to say that they don't want to teach or that they don't think it is right to teach right um because they don't think they should teach not because there is a 
uh, medical reason. Okay. Um, that does lead me quite nicely into the um, response of uh, the University and College Union and its General Secretary, Dr. Joe Grady, whose Twitter account is headed by um, a quote apparently from the um, government's scientific advisory body, SAGE, saying all university and college teaching to be online unless face-to-face -face teaching is absolutely essential. And the UCU... Um, from what I've read of its positions, seems to be leaning very heavily into this idea that of what you were just saying, which is that we will not just back up our union members who say that they uh, don't want to teach, but we'll make it a positive demand that um, more and more uh, teaching is delivered via online or remote learning. Um, so... Is that have I painted an, an accurate generalization? Is that an accurate generalization there of uh, their position? Yeah, um, yeah, I don't. Why, think and what is your what are your thoughts on the UCU's position and, and its response to um, the COVID outbreak and also the, the what's their stance been as the uh, the new term has unfolded? Um, yeah, I, I do think I don't think that's an unfair characterization of the UCU position, the um, UCU has argued vociferously from the start that all teaching, you know, as far as is possible, absolutely as far as possible, should be online as a default. Yes. So I guess it would be the opposite, you know, that to not teach online would have to be for special circumstances. And that's been uh, a very vocal um, campaign basically you know articles in the uh, national press um, and so on so yeah that has been the argument um, I personally don't agree with that I would argue uh, you know with moderate precautions we should be teaching on campus other than of course it go I hope it goes without saying for colleagues who do need to shield either for their own health reasons or for example of course depending upon people's living circumstances you know people who yes. live with people who need to who who need to shield uh, so that would be my argument and with a with a number of colleagues from different universities um organized by um professor dennis hayes uh, at Derby University, you know, we signed a, a, an open letter that was actually published in the Times, just making, ironically, uh, just making this um, argument that, you know, we felt it was extremely important uh, in terms of the education, the student that we had face to face campus teaching. Um, yes. It simply not the same you know campus teaching is very different from online teaching um one of the responses which i found particularly irritating from our union head dr grady was to take this letter as if we were denigrating uh distance what's called distance learning used to be correspondence course yes distance learning teaching for example as exemplified by the open university yes. um, and that's completely not what we were arguing um, at Leicester
Leicester, where I am, we do we have a really good distance learning program for masters. Yes. Um, as well as campus. But the difference is that people who do the distance learning masters or people who do the distance, people who choose to do their degree through the open university do that because that's what they choose. Yes. They do it in, for example, many of our master's students, we have excellent students, you know, many of whom are working in a related profession, for example, you right. know, UN or whatever, and, and then might also be doing one of our master's. Um, you know, and that's a very, and that is a, that is a decision that people make because it suits their, what well, you know, it, they can fit it in with their job or. Yeah, it's a, it's a work-life balance yeah, choice. Yeah, it, it's, it's something that, it's something that people actively choose and equally for the open university, you know, which is, I think, one of the most impressive universities in the world, you know, it's a, it's absolutely brilliant university but again that's people choose to do that because of work or whatever and the difference is that the students you know the school the students who leave school and have chosen to go to a campus university have chosen to do that because that is what they have chosen you know so it's a very it's not a denigration of distance learning to say it's a very very different thing Yes, and it's it's also what um, to use a marketing term. It's also what what has been advertised to students, um, because as you said, if you sign up to an open university yeah. course or if you sign up to do mostly distance learning masters, um, that's a choice you've made because it fits with your um, work uh, life balance or yeah. it's something that in it was something which you've chosen to engage in. Absolutely, if you've signed up for 10 20 hours however many much contact time you get with each course if you've signed up for that face-to-face -face teaching and seminar teaching but, and then suddenly the the university and the and the the union turn around and say well no what we're going to give you instead is a big really big zoom call um well, yeah that, 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 that strikes me as having something that has been missold and yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess, as I said, the, for most universities, you know, I think everyone who went to Oxford knew it was going to be online. Um, yeah. You know, for most universities um, that, well, certainly say our university said it, the explicit offer was blended, you know, in quotes, blended learning. Yeah. Um, then what happened then, as I said, and I don't think this was just at Leicester, I think, uh, far fewer people were happy to teach than I think maybe universities had anticipated and this doesn't just go for union members because as a sector overall yes you know universities are not actually heavily unionized and it really does depend on departments and you know it's it's very very uneven yes I was uh, that was my experience when uh, working with uh, UCU people at both Manchester universities. There was some departments are really, really well organised. Some there's barely a single member in them. Yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah. And for example, in our university, you know, there have been some departments which are aren't so unionised but have done more teaching. So mm. I, 
you know, I, I think it would be true to say that the union does reflect a kind of substantial strain of thought amongst university lecturers that mm. they we should not be doing campus teaching. So, that, so there's a few of us who were who were arguing that you know actually campus teaching represents something very specific and very very important, and it is yes. very different from. Um, online <clears throat> engagement especially for students who have chosen to do that and who aren't working you know who have literally have chosen to spend this these three years on a campus doing um doing their degree yes um the so the fact that the um the fact that many uh, uh, academic staff be unionized or non-unionized have um, insisted upon um, the, the the stance of that they don't want to be physically there. Now, some a lot of that is going to be down to um, fears about the virus yeah. um, and the uh, associated consequences of it, or yeah. not wanting to be exposed, etc. Um, does there not contain, though, within the position, a fundamental danger? Uh, which is that when you have in any industry um, a moment of crisis where the employer suddenly says, well, we need to do A, B and C differently, which involves basically having less people in the premises, um, delivering less services ultimately. Um, is it not always the case that the employer will look at that and think, oh, well, we saved this much money or we made this many cost savings. Why don't we look to make that permanent? Well, this is the, uh, this is, I was just, I was going to bring that up. So this is the other thing. So first of all, the response to the, from our union to, you know, this very small group of people of, of us who wrote this letter to say, you know, we think there's something very important about face-to-face -face teaching, campus teaching. Um, you know, and with moderate restrictions and precautions, we should be getting on with it. Those of us who can. Yes. Um, but then, one that's one of the interesting things. I think that there hasn't been that acceptance and engagement with that. What I think is the kind of core of university teaching, and it is that it is that relationship aspect. Yes. You know, it's and it's not just the. Uh, the lecturers and the students it's the students relationship with each other as, yes you know and I'm not going to make any kind of cliches about a scholarly community and you know what the university could be because I to be to be honest I don't really know that that ever existed you know in the 19th century in the early 20th century universities have always been changing and so on but there is something very important about all being together and just even the kind of coffee breaks, you know, in which students go and discuss stuff or yeah. argue and go to meetings and film nights and, you know, all the other extra stuff that makes this potentially three years a, a unique time in anyone's life, you know, when you can just go to your lectures, read concentrate on the topic hopefully ho ho but you know also do all the other stuff that makes for the for for 
why a you know you know three years at university can be so such a great time of someone's life so I'm so there's that kind of unique aspect to it but and then and and that I found a little bit perplexing that there seems to have been very little attempt even to say okay even to say well we know this is really really amazing and we have to get back to this as soon as possible because otherwise to go back to what you're saying Alexander how can we defend ourselves against the kind of mookification of higher education mm. because uh you know i remember years ago um someone asking me a few years ago oh are mooks going to kind of get rid of the traditional university and i was thinking well no because actually students want campus learning and there's something really really unique about it but I think what I, what we're seeing now is we're almost in danger of our own union not grasping that if they don't make a really strong defence of campus education, then it will be it, it will be very easy for the universities to simply say, okay, well that worked. Yes. You know, uh, <laughs> let's cut fifty percent of. Um, stuff well that's i mean the, it would be very foolish for any union official to believe that the employers are, don't have people looking at this for examples as to how they can permanently incorporate some of these changes if these changes are beneficial to their their broader plans well that absolutely the, you know uh, that the, goes for all of industry not just universities no no that's okay. what HR departments are dedicated to these days, which is look how to do um, do generate the same revenue but spend less on staff. That's the principal HR activity now. Absolutely, and, and universities, as we know, have uh, under successive governments um, and since New Labour, or was it even? What did John Major initiate it? But you know, universities have basically been pushed by government <coughs> to function as businesses you yes know, it's a, it's as irrational as making a, a hospital function as a business but that's that's a different discussion but they have and yeah that, this is, you know and we've had it a probably goes back um doesn't it to the to the conversion of the right the way back to the conversion of the polytechnics into universities proper that was the direction of travel was that they wanted to have more things they wanted to standardize the higher education sector to call everything everything would then be called a degree no right. matter what whereas 35 years ago you would have had differing yeah qualifications in the higher education sector oh. so they standardized it and, and was, then they, was that 92 okay. yes i think so okay. uh, that's when Man manchester met got turned into a um a, a so-called proper university okay. So you standardise the the qualifications offered, and then you push more and more people to go. I yeah. mean, uh, yeah. as famous fifty percent target, for instance. Absolutely, which we which we've kind of now reached, and, and as part of that, also what you've had over the years is the shift, uh, and as part of the shift in the way that universities are funded. So, you know, a reduction in government funding and a shift towards university funding coming from either grant capture as it's called in the most gruesome managerial term 
but either from grants or, or from grants and from student fees. Yes. So, and that, you know, this is all part of it, uh, you know, that the funding model shifts and universities uh, fund themselves essentially more and more. Yes. Which, of course, then, but again, this is a very different discussion, then feeds into um, the way, you know, kind of student numbers and recruitment and all sorts of other things that plenty of people have discussed and the sort of perverse uh, effects of marketization, essentially. But, you know, that's the, the fact is that is what, so universities are essentially functioning as businesses and we are already seeing as a consequence of uh, the effects of covid and so and we are um we are already seeing uh universe departments being closed yes and you know there will be more redundancies and but i think the problem is the i don't the ucu leaves itself with less of a leg to stand on really because well yes if you've agreed with if you've agreed with that these changes should be made it's a lot lot harder to get them reversed well uh, speaking from even my experience in the civil service once something came in and the management wanted it to stay getting it reversed would take years and even then you might not you might not get it all reversed anyway so it seems perverse to rush headlong over that particular cliff um, without seemingly realizing the dangers uh, within that given that given that um, what they are what they are doing essentially is as we you said about the the, ter- the the turning of the process into a business the marketization of it everything's turned into essentially a degree printing facility um where you you attend like you know in person once a week and then do the rest of it on a zoom well right given a certificate at the end right so so but you know that and and that it seems to me that it's not a sort of esoteric point to say that actually making the point that the you know the the face-to-face relationship that part of the university that part of the degree is at the heart of, you know, a univer- a, a, a degree rather than, you know, a kind of certificate, you know, reading for a degree. I know that's a bit of an old-fashioned term, but nonetheless, rather than kind of receiving a certificate for instruction as such. I don't yeah. know. but I, I, And that's why I think, so that I do think is a bit, the union hasn't really grasped that and it'll be difficult to then argue against changes that are made permanent and the other thing I think is that we we went through quite a protracted strike over a couple of years um about pensions and so on you know they were pretty disruptive to students but actually surprisingly there was quite a general you know quite a sort of strong level of support from students you know who were saying you know I don't like this and obviously it's really disruptive but I do understand it because you know to be a lecturer is not to be enormously well paid I mean certainly it is a above the average wage but you know it's not it's not a kind of you're not 
you know, you, you, uh, the average... It's not Tony rate, Blair money, is it? No, you know, you, you'll still be hard pushed to buy a property, for example, in many places. Um, yeah. You know, so it's not a kind of, it's not... But part of the, you know, and people don't go into it because they want to make money, that's for sure. Or either that or they've been really misadvised about, you know, but <laughs> but part of that has been the kind of security, part of the compensation has been security of the job, you know, and, and also a good pension. Yes. Um, so actually a lot of students could sort of understand that, that, that it, it actually is a really important thing for people you go into a job you know which can be fairly hard uh, you know it's not hugely well paid I mean so, listen I don't mean for any way to uh, <laughs> there's no sob story here it's a great job but I'm just trying to say that students um you know students were actually pretty su supportive thinking yeah we do understand that pensions are important yeah, because we had we had this we we had the same thing when we were in the civil service pension strikes, which yeah. we were on strike with UCU on a number of yeah. days in the earlier part of the last decade, and uh, what we found was that there's a general level of not just support amongst students, but a general level of public support because yeah. I think there was a general sense that well at least somebody's standing up for something. Yeah, um, because it was yeah. a generalised feeling of frustration. Yeah, uh, in in a, in the wider society, um, which you know the TUC promptly drove that feeling of public support over a cliff by surrendering um, with a degree of rapidity that was yeah. disgusting. Um, that my personal opinion, um, but I think the um, the support from students it, uh, what was important at the Manchester universities in sustaining some of those actions um, do you think that's been put at risk by the stance that the union's taking well that's what I was going to say so that was quite so that was quite interesting you know that there actually was a fairly solid level of support for students even though it was very disruptive I think they could see that it wasn't just a flippant you know it, it's it, that it, that the that the strike was for something fairly important and um in terms of the profession overall and of course that has implications for you know how people um you know that people stay in the profession and so on and are prepared to do as much as they can and um you know the university universities really function on the fact that everyone who works there is pre prepared to do much more than they are contracted to yes um and that's fine you know but so yeah so but i cannot see now how the inevitable next round of strikes or called strikes are called or there will be any student support and that's as someone who's been part of you know it's been a union member for many years I don't know what I don't know that I could now feel comf you know that I was legitimately striking having failed to support our students at this time yes um so I can't really imagine that there will be much sympathy when there is a next round of strikes from either students or 
the general public? You know, because so, just to jump, you know, our teachers have carried on teaching. Yeah, well, the um, yeah, in the in the schools, there's been they've been they've never really stopped in some senses because even during the most severe lockdowns. Essentially, the uh, the public school system, the the state school system, was being used to um, as a, as essentially a daycare facility for the uh, children of those regarded as essential workers. Yeah, I mean, school, schools like our 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 child's school stayed open for key workers and vulnerable children who are classified as vulnerable. So no, absolutely, so teachers, you know, have carried on. Um, as indeed have yet has you know kind of much of many people who were in the economy otherwise we would not be uh having any you know there would be no food in the supermarkets and well you know no one met you know no one's mending things and no no one would get in an amazon delivery Uh, (laughs) you know so because lockdown does have a class bias to it doesn't it well that's the other thing you know that i i do you know, I do find that without wanting to go, I'm not claiming that universities are essential, university lecturers are essential workers. I don't think that is so at all. But I do think that there is something very specific about the university. And if you choose to go to university, what you can at least potentially get there. Yes. Quite, you know, a unique thing. So, I don't, but I'm not going to say that you know I don't think university lecturers are essential workers. But you know, so many people have carried on working, and there's ridiculous as in the sun or ridiculous kind of pictures of the crowd crowded tubes in London saying, you know, people still working even though they're told to work at home. Yeah, that's because if you are a nurse or a builder. <laughs> Or a supermarket worker, you can't work from home. You're going to work. Yeah. Um, or and... even quite a lot of the private sector um, who have to who, are, who work in offices, so it's got clerical and stuff like work and stuff like that. Most of them don't, well, aren't going to have the option to work no. from home either. Absolutely, and you, a lot uh, of businesses just won't offer it. No, absolutely, and you know, and obviously, we're not. You, you know, you or you and I aren't the only people to point out to the kind of way in which this lockdown has been something that uh you know has had kind of serious impacts has had much more significant impact if you are working class you know if you are middle class uh like me middle class by profession you know i've got a place for my desk and you know comfortable home and my income's still coming in so for me you know lockdown it's not, you know, I, I, I can, uh, I can, I can cope with it, um, but of course, if you have to, you know, if you are sort of a cleaner or you work in the service industry, um, then you're in a very different position. Yeah, both the, in position terms of, the position of the government was carry on working, right? Uh, but, and uh, oh, but, but put some gloves on. Yeah, exactly. And also, and that's even if you can carry on working, because, of course, it's easy for those of us in, well, particularly in the public sector who, mm. well, as we still have jobs, uh, whilst we still have jobs, who um, are still receiving 
our full salaries and we can just yes. comfortably do stuff online. But again, if you are, for example, uh, you know, if you are working as a waitress or in the pubs or uh, in construction, you know, it's a very different... It's a different game. And it's a very different I... game. And if you can't work, you can't pay your rent and you can't obviously feed your family so so that so i think there's really that this um lockdown has you know it's it it favors the middle the middle classes the professional classes who can work from home yeah i i was that was leading into my next question actually um uh, which was that why it's and ucu have i've to my mind and obviously you know, in yours as well have made an error in their approach and they're not alone in this a lot of the other unions are also arguing for uh, more furloughs and um, extended lockdowns and um, more um, things like um, universal basic income which is a, a whole other podcast in itself yeah. with issues <laughs> yes I, I don't think that's a good idea <laughs> I yeah think, I, not, not I, I, I think i think it's a Ter terrible idea to um for any union to be demanding that um you know um workers should be uh reduced to living off a stipend funded by jeff bezos but uh well and, and all yeah that the state can uh that have such ultimate control over um well yeah ultimate control over your income absolutely. um yeah not, not so but there's a lot of unions are arguing for all of this. Yeah, your your union, UCU, amongst them. Um, why is it that they're all making this making this mistake? Um, because it clearly it, not just for university lectures. Clearly, it's a mistake in many places where employers will try and exploit the situation to make cost savings, yeah. uh, to close down physical premises. And uh, we know that um, in <clears throat> the industry that I've spent most of my working life in, which is Govern the government sector. Yeah, uh, they love an opportunity to close down a physical presence yeah, and just yeah. concentrate everything into a gigantic goal center. Yeah, yeah. So why is it that our union leaders are all making this mistake of um, arguing for policies that would make the employer's job easier in that respect? Why is it that they're doing this? Do you think? I, I mean, I really don't know. I guess the kind. I mean, I, I, I genuinely don't know. I guess the sort of pat answer or the kind of quick answer but I would be the sort of the way in which unions have shifted very much to a, a health and safety uh, focus you know and much of it entirely legitimate of course but mm. not all, not all of it you know a fair amount of way way in which health and safety is to some extent being used as a way to uh, you know kind of challenge employers I don't think it does particularly no. Um, but that would be my sort of easy answer. But I genuinely don't know how, if that, you know, I don't know. That, that would is be my it, sort of quick response. Oh, it's sort of safetyism. Yeah, um, I think there is that. But, but I think I it, to, yeah. to draw on what we were just talking about with regard to the, the class um, biases of lockdown policies, is, I think we've also got a bit of a problem in the, the, the class structure of the unions themselves, which is that, and not just going beyond UCU to uh, my old union, PCS, a lot of the, the hierarchies of them uh, 
are actually dominated by professional class people um, who have their own specific sets of interests, um, class-based interests, which are not always going to be in line with the majority of the members of their union. I mean, that the, the union bureaucracy versus members argument is a rank and file members argument is as old as unions themselves. Yeah, but but I think just to jump in, I think we'd probably then want to think, differentiate, say, somewhere like U, uh, UCU. Yeah. You know, in that I think UCU does more reflect the sentiments of its membership. And, you know, and, you, and essentially... UCU, as it is constituted, is a middle class union. Mm. You know, there's not really, there's, it's a little bit different if you're talking about the, um, you know, you know, the miners or, you, you know what I mean? It's a and I would have thought the same for civil service union, that it is effectively a white collar union, you know, a middle class union. Yeah, um, I think it's so, been made more so. Um, in the last 20 years, um, civil service unions have anyway, yeah. since like supporting and junior grades were either um, dismissed entirely or gotten rid of, or that they were taken out of central employment and just put on temporary contracts. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Is- uh, and, and in fact, you that that is, again, and that's probably a different discussion, you, that's definitely, as you know, like a big issue in universities, the Yes. Like casualization. Yeah. And of course, that also is linked to the business model because, you know, uh, colleagues who are, ta- who are taken on short term contracts or for two or three years, you know, it's a very different financial commitment. Um, yeah. And so- also, the, uh, we, we were discussing just a minute ago the risks of um, what would happen if the em- em- university employers chose to take advantage of this situation, close down physical premises, yeah. get rid of more jobs. So it's not just, uh, I suppose it's not just uh, lecturers and teaching staff, it's also all the support staff that go along with that, um, yeah, who are principally represented by, if they are, by like Unison uh, or Unite. Yeah. Um, that's uh, another problem, isn't it? Yeah, and but, and, and that doesn't tend, they, you know, amongst um, ours, admin colleagues that you know it's a pretty low level of union there is a pretty low level of union um membership as well yeah um so yeah so but you know so i don't think it's going to be a happy place for a few years <laughs> no no just to just to conclude because um on on a on a point that would, would probably merit much further discussion but the 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 public body's responses to COVID in general. I mean, the second time you actually came on the show, we discussed the numerous um, plans that the government had, yeah. all of which seems to have disappeared in a puff of smoke um, or just failed or been poorly implemented. Um, and it seems that the government has been bounced around um, in its policy response by the news cycle, by various different business interests and other things as well, um, with never seemingly able to actually come up with a coherent policy and stick to it for more than about five days. But reverting back to lockdowns as a sort of, as a matter of uh, they default back to it whenever any 
anything goes wrong. Um, yeah. Yeah. Looking at the response and how it's unfolded, um, has it surprised you how bad the central government has been, even given the the the, the work you've done on the question in the past yeah. and what we've discussed previously? Yes, genuinely. I mean, it has genuinely surprised me just how and I think what's really really astonished me now and I you know I was I'm a I voted for Brexit I'm an out Brexit voter which obviously doesn't make for you know being a university lecturer it's not a it's not it's not particularly um no no one's congratulating me on that you can imagine Um, civil service wasn't too pretty either (laughs) (laughs) no exactly um um but you I think that Brexit. I think that Brexit is very, or, or at least a very important first step into in terms of taking democratic control over our country. Yes. Or any country, you know, anyone's country. Um. But I. But so I. I had. But I had no illusions about the Conservatives or Johnson. You know, I did. But even. But I am surprised at the depth of the incompetence, the the sheer kind of cronyism that keeps coming out. You know, the contract, yeah, like yeah. the likes of Matt Hancock's local pub owner or something ridiculous doing, I mean, you know, it's just like, it's like, you'd, it's, it's actually funny. I mean, it's not funny, but it is funny. But so the sheer, the sheer, the well, depth, yeah, just the sheer incompetence. And the other thing that I really has is absolutely staggering is that you have this um, party, and I think that I think what the the Conservative Party believed that Brexit would be like a sort of almost that kind of uh, how do you say it? you know this kind of act of transformation. They didn't understand that it's only the start of trying to reforge relationship between the state and society. They thought it was just going to be this, you turn it on, and then suddenly they believed all, you know, some of the nonsense from people like Farage, you know, we just need to rip off the red tape and the country will surge ahead like, you know, the British lion and all this. I think I think they believed that rather than, you know, yeah. it just being... You- Yeah, you raise a good point there, which is that um, there's been it's we've had nearly 50 years of the erosion of British state capacity for actually um, governing. Exactly. So much has been pawned off to was pawned off by the EU, um, be it be it just the state just implementing EU regulations. And also the amount that's been spun off, privatized, or quangoized. Absolutely, but uh, but uh, so, so so that's absolutely so important. But and but then all and also fifty, you know, or, or certainly not fifty years, but certainly kind of from the eighties, you know, all the kind of classic discussion in political theory, you know, kind of voter disalignment, increasing distrust, you mm. know, all that all that's real, you know, and and the kind of separation of the people from the state you know that's yes. that's all that's actually that's real and it's a real problem and i think the conservative party some thought brexit would like literally just you know be like a snow globe you just shake it all up and it all comes back 
Mm. And I think, and so you have this, like, I've never, you know, the kind of, it actually blows my mind that the gap between the Conservative Party rhetoric, if you read, you know, the stuff in the manifesto, you know, ripping up red tape and, you know, here, go, come on, Britain, we're going to go for it, you know, to a government that is literally telling us how many people we can meet up with. Yeah. You know, and, and and that you you know you can't if if some I know lots of people have said this, but you said this like last year. The Conservative government is actually going to be, uh, you know, forbidding you for the for the duration of a year in most of the country from meeting up with from having people in your own home. You'd probably say you'd probably say you're a complete lunatic. You know, and, and yeah. is there has there ever been such a gap? between the kind of rhetoric of, you know, oh, libertarian, rip up that red tape, let our spirits go to, you know, if you, if you, you know, have your mum in your house, unless she's in your support bubble, you know, <laughs> you're breaking the law or yeah. it, 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 it's sort of almost it's it's you know, the, the brain can't really comprehend such a kind of separation yeah. i think also it, it it's to to my mind it's partly in, the incapacity of the state machine it's also the incapacity of the individual politicians because yeah. none of these guys i don't think i don't think a single one of them came into politics at a time where they thought they would actually have to do much have to, no absolutely Just i mean literally fill a seat, um, fill yeah. a cabinet position, Absolutely. sign things that got put in front of you. Yeah. And so when when you, when you get, like, Boris or whoever would be in charge, yeah. I, don't think, I don't think the opposite bench, um, you know, <laughs> Captain Keir no. and the Labour Party is going to do much better. Because <laughs> no. they're exactly the same people. Um, Absolutely. They're all from this layer of politicians in this generation, two generations of politicians, yeah who don't know how to run anything and Absolutely. don't really comprehend how to. Absolutely. So that's why you get slogans like, well, we build, we follow the science. Yeah. But yeah. anybody who, you, you will know this better than I do, if you've studied basic governance, the job of a prime minister, president, chair of a council of ministers, isn't just to follow what he's advised to yeah. say. It's supposedly to take the scientific advice balance it against the economic and social and political costs and come up with something which can adequately cover those bases. Yeah. Not yeah. just say, well, a scientist told me, so yeah. I did it, which but is essentially they, what Boris has been doing. They literally can't, and that's the problem. So you have shutdowns, and of course, and it's not just our country, obviously, unfortunately, you know, in many European states as well, this has been the answer. Yeah. There's, there's literally, an, there, there's a fundamental and profound incapacity to enact policy it's incredible yeah. you know so the the response is i mean it really is the kind of response of the as um i think lee jones has said in, or in one of his articles it's the response of the failed state in effect you know yeah it's um the it's the response of politicians who thought that they would only ever have to be um kind of like 
just managers, not it, policy it, deciders. It's, so yeah, that's a really good managers it, with a good PR yeah. PR game. That's yeah, all yeah. that they wanted to be. And like, I think you 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 raise a really good point about Brexit just being the start of something because yeah. they the Conservative Party I think got itself on board with Brexit as you said on the grounds that. Well, well, okay. Well, we'll come out and then we'll just carry on as normal. Yeah. I, I don't think they understood for a moment um, what the implications of that will be. No. Um, I, I, I think some of the the ones who were the most fanatical in their opposition to leaving perhaps did understand it and understood yeah. the implications better than those who ended up in government. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because yeah, the implication yeah. is that you now have to actually govern. You yeah. can't just yeah. shrug your shoulders palm it off to a quango, adopt a European directive, or just say, oh, well, you know, logic of the market. Absolutely. And, and you, yeah, absolutely. And I think your point about, you know, it's like they just thought they didn't realise they were going to have to actually, you know, they're just, all they all they can do is sort of manage, push stuff around, you know, not, and, you know, yeah. and, right, it's no surprise. I know we're going way off topic. You know, the, the attractions of, you know, the World Economic Forum, they're probably thinking like, thank God. <laughs> yes, because I mean, to to me, the 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 whole Great Reset argument narrative is this: you know, by a bunch of uh, capitalist goons get in a room and cook up some ideas. That's yeah. always happened. But I think what you what the reason why it's getting traction in government is because from uh, Trudeau to the the uh, the shuffling corpse that is Joe Biden to. Macron to every other European government, they're all completely clueless as to actually how to do anything. Yeah. So they, so whoever turns up from the World Economic Forum with a policy document in his hand saying, "There you go, do that." Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. um, this is a good been, idea. It, look, it's got all these famous-looking names of successful businessmen Absolutely. attached to it, and, and, they, and Boris thinks, "Great." Absolutely. And chuck in, you know, and it's the climate, you know, all the kind of buzzwords, you know, and think like, yippee, you know, at last an agenda that is that we don't, you know, that is set for us. That we, we don't have to do that, anything. That we, don't, that we can latch onto and makes us feel good. I mean, although it's not a joke, it's an extremely, you know, concerning agenda and all sorts of things going on, you know, in terms of uh, banning of petrol cars. You know, many, many initiatives which are going to have an entirely malign effect on the environment. And, yeah. You know, people like Lee Phillips and Mike Schellenberger kind of discuss in various books about how, you know, stuff like renewables is actually disaster for the environment. Well, but, that was the subject of the uh, Michael Moore film Planet of the Humans, wasn't it? That. Um, uh, that they um that more fronted up but it was an it was some actual uh serious environmental researchers yeah, who put together yeah. all the information and then the the green tech industry tried to have it pulled um yeah. because they they argued oh it's anti-green it's pro-fossil yeah. fuel but what it was actually pointing out was that the the so-called renewable energy might not be very renewable might yeah. not be very green. It actually is. It can be as damaging as the old extraction. Yeah, industry. yeah, yeah. If not, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, but yeah. So you can see that that agenda. Um, yeah. So anyway, um, happy. You know, we'll have some interesting news. Merry Christmas. <laughs>
<laughs> if you're allowed to have one. At least, yeah, exactly. On your own. You can, as long as you wear a mask. Because if you're on your own wearing a mask, you can celebrate as you like. If you're on your own wearing a mask and if you wrap every single relative in tin foil, then <laughs> maybe, yeah. maybe. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, Tara, that's, I think we're, um, we're up to our hour. So, yeah, I'm going to run because uh, I've got to get going to run. But that's, that was, that's been really good um, discussion uh, that we've had there. And, and thanks thank so you. much for coming back on. No, thank you so much for asking me. And that was our interview with Dr. Tara McCormack of the University of Leicester. If you've enjoyed what you've heard here, you may want to check out a couple of our other interviews with her. You can find that on the podcast library and on the YouTube channel as well. Until next time then, it only remains for me to say thank you for listening to the Red Star Radio podcast. We'll be back with more in the coming weeks. And if I don't speak to you before the new year, enjoy your COVID Christmas in a tier four lockdown wrapped entirely in cellophane. I believe that's the latest directive from Boris Johnson. So good luck to you all out there and solidarity.